feel like there should be a baby in this thing. It's kind of weird. It's always strange seeing an empty baby carrier. That's just a... There we Thank you. Or just put a baby in it. Either way, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, I like your baby. Your baby, you know, gives good feedback. So, good morning. I hope everybody's doing well. Um, we are... We're in the book of Mark this morning. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. If you haven't been with us, um, we've, we've been here a little while and we've got a ways to go and, and we're okay with that. It's going to be a good uh, five years. Um, no, we're going to work all the way through the book of Mark and we're going to take as long as we need. And uh, I think, man, we're just, here's the thing, like we want to talk about like who is Jesus, uh, why do we need him, and, and all of that. And so those are the questions that we're hoping to answer. Whether you're a Christ follower or not yet a Christ follower, like we need to be able to answer these questions. And so... Today we're going to be there. I'm going to jump right in, but we're going to pray first, and, uh, and we're going to go. I think they have a wedding after today, so uh, if you can stick around and help us tear down rapidly, man, we would appreciate that, um, but yeah, let's, let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you, God, that your word is alive because you are. We thank you that it's able, and, um, it's able to change us uh, because that's what you desire. Father, I pray that as we look at it, we do not add anything or take anything away uh, but we, we see and we hear exactly what you want us to. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So over the past several weeks, we've been uh, kind of looking at Mark's gospel. We've, we've talked a few things about the fact that Mark was uh, kind of an assistant to Peter. He was an interpreter for Peter. He was not the most eloquent writer, but one thing that he did is he included big, like, action-packed details that were differing from the rest of the gospels. Um, and today is another one of those places in which uh, we're going to see some things occurring. We can also find these accounts in Matthew chapter 9 and Luke 5. If you want to look at these, very similar, just slightly different wording based upon the author, but nothing different as far as details. Um, over the past few weeks, the way that it started with Mark is he, he introduced them to Jesus by looking at all of the other voices that were attesting and affirming who Jesus was. From natural voices to supernatural voices saying like this, this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. This is someone different. This is someone special, someone other than just a teacher. And then we see him go from there to uh, we see him heal people. We see him teach. We see him call the disciples. We see a ton of different things. And then last week, we see him building on what we talked about a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, he was in the temple, and, and he was actually astounding people, not with the words that he said, but with the way in which he said them. People were blown away by the authority in which he possessed, the way that he owned the words, the way that it was almost like truth was invented when it came out of his mouth, like he owned the words. And then last week, we get to see him demonstrate this in the fact that he was able to heal a man, first forgive his sins, and then those who were skeptical, he was like, look, you know, what would be easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or for me to tell this guy to get up and walk so that you may believe that I have authority to forgive sins? Hey, you guy, get up, walk, go home. And he did. And so everybody was like marveling. They were amazed. And today, we're going to see Jesus in a way, allow the pendulum to swing to another side from some things that we've already seen him done, seen him do, pardon me. Uh, English is not my first language. Um, and so we're going to start chapter 2. It is my first language, but I don't really have a good excuse, so I just made one up. Uh, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2, 13 through 17. So let's go ahead and read those, and then we'll, um, we'll talk about it for a bit. It says, So he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. 
And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The New Living Translation says, why does he eat with such scum? So hear their words, but understand their tone. It's like, why does he eat with such people? Verse 17, it says, and when Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so today, what we get to see, kind of in order, we see Jesus call a disciple, we see Jesus eat with a specific group of people, and then we see Jesus actually address some concerns of the very, very religious of the day. And so I wanted to start with just this idea of him calling Levi. Later, he would be known as Matthew, so the Gospel of Matthew, this is the same guy. And so previously, when we saw him call the disciples, they fit a specific type. They were, like we said, they were like blue collar. They were fishermen. Um, you know, they were probably, you know, well thought of, but they weren't well educated. They may have been teenagers, uh, but they were hardworking individuals. He walks by the sea. He sees them, probably had a previous encounter with them, but on this day he sees them. He says, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And they did. They left their nets. And these guys, as far as societal terms, they would have been, they would have been typical Jewish men. You know, they wouldn't have been hated, they wouldn't have been despised, they would probably have been appreciated, but they wouldn't have been revered necessarily, but kind of somewhere in the middle. But today we see him call a different type of person. We see him call Levi, a tax collector. And so during this time, like, there's a couple things that he may have done and would have kept the title tax collector. He could have been like a customs agent since this was a fishing town and a busy port. So he could have been a guy that was imposing tariffs and taxes on behalf of Rome for everything that came in, or he could have just been the tax guy. Either way, nobody liked him. Like, nobody likes the tax man. So, but not just a tax man, but there was an understanding because Rome appointed these people out of out of Israel, said, look, we want Israelites, people of Israel, to collect taxes, but you know what? We're going to give you a little bit of leeway. And so the leeway that they were given was, yes, the tax may be three denarii, but you can take four and keep that fourth for yourself. And nobody's going to like you, but they're going to know that we're Rome and we can take whatever we want. And so even though these were people of Israel, they were working on behalf of Rome, nobody liked them. I mean, they were, they were endorsed criminals, for the most part. Whether they were taking tariffs, whether they were taking taxes, didn't matter. Endorsed criminals. And so it's interesting that before, these were men that were a part of Israel, working for Israel, making their money for Israel, selling goods to Israel. Not despised, not hated, just kind of middle of the road. But then Jesus walks by this other type of guy, this Levi, this this Matthew. And interesting that he was named Levi too, by the way. Most likely his parents named him that in hopes that he would actually be a priest of the Levitical nature instead of a tax collector. So this guy, not only is he despised by all of his countrymen, he's probably a colossal disappointment to his parents. Like, I know that sounds terrible, but, you know, if you, if you give birth to a child and you're like, man, I, I kind of would like for you to be a priest one day to serve our living God and to serve the people, and now you're a tax collector, they're probably like, ah, I'm done. You know, I'm going to wash my, I don't, I don't know that they did that, but it would have been a colossal <laughs> disappointment. But today, this day, Jesus is walking again after teaching, and he sees this guy, and he says, hey, you, would you like to follow me? And he does. The pendulum has swung from people that not necessarily revered to accepted, um, has swung all the way over here to someone that people hate, and that's who Jesus called today. 
And not just called out of the tax booth, not just called out from where he was, but called to follow, called to be a disciple, called to be a learner, called to be a minister, called to be the people that he would actually equip to build the church, his body, his bride, after his departure. The people that he would uh, not just uh, equip and enable, but those whom he would endorse as his people. Because that's what a discipler would do for his disciple. He would say, you are mine. That's who he called today. So, we've got him. Uh, The book of Luke says that when he called him, it says that he left everything and followed after Jesus. Same thing that we see with the disciples, the other disciples, when we see it with Peter and James and, and John and Andrew, when he calls them, it says they left their nets, they left their boat, they left their dad, and they just began to follow. But this guy, understand, here's another way in which the pendulum swung to this extreme. Before, these fishermen, they worked every day because if they didn't work, they wouldn't have anything. You know, they were blue-collar in every sense of the word, probably living fish to fish or paycheck to paycheck, net to net, and if they missed a net, like, they were going to miss rent. This guy, on the other hand, because he was an endorsed criminal, he lacked for nothing. Like, he had all the other people's money that he could possibly want. Despised by them for it, but he had all that he wanted. He was probably a man of means as opposed to the previous disciples. So, again, the pendulum has swung. And the reason that I say that is because I want us to think about from one end of the pendulum to the other Man, we could fall anywhere in there. Whether you're a person of means or no means, whether you're a person that's revered or hated, it doesn't matter. Like, in between there, man can fall all of creation. And if God can call this end of the spectrum, this end of the spectrum, everybody's fair game. But today, he called this guy, and this guy left. And so, uh, we see that questionable character, questionable motives, questionable status, but Jesus said, follow me, follow me, really neat. And then right after that, we see him in verse 15, it says, and as he reclined at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So what happened after that is this Levi, who just left his tax booth, his place of making money, and probably his status with it that was given to him by Rome, hated by everybody else, he left that, and the first thing that he did is he said, hey, uh, come to my house because I want to give you a feast. The other gospels say that he prepared a feast. A feast, like I want you to understand, like a feast is not a a Big Mac and and French fries and a Diet Coke because you're watching your calories. Like that's not a feast. Like a feast is all of it. Like a couple weeks ago, my my grandmother passed away. And like I remember what she did because she loved her grandkids. Like her love languages were... uh, the cheek smushes where she would never kiss your cheeks. She would smash her cheek against yours and make the kissing noise, which was really weird because she didn't want to mess up her lipstick or her makeup. Um, and then her other love language, though, was conveyed by the stove in the oven. And I remember at one point before I got married, um, like my, I had moved back home to save a little money for about six months before we got hitched, and you know, because that's what good stewardship husbands do because they're dirt broke. And so I moved back home, and my parents went out of town, and my grandmother called. She was like, hey, would you like to come over and eat one night? I'm like, heck yeah, sign me up. And I show up, and she had made, like, she had made all the food, like all of it. I mean, she had, like, ribs, she had ham, she had macaroni and cheese, she had green beans, she had rolls, she had sweet tea that would double as pancake syrup. She had it all. And, like, she had made a, a feast for me, and that was her way of, like, she didn't verbally say it that much, and she never kissed you with her lips, but she would make the noise, which was very valuable. But she would tell you frequently that she loved you based on what was on the table. And she was telling me she loved me with all of it. And her and my grandfather just sat there and they watched me eat, <laughs> which was interesting. I'm like, aren't y'all going to eat? And I don't, I don't think they were. 
and I did a job that night. I mean, I did it. I did it. I'm not going to turn down love. And so I, I did. I, I took one for the team, all of those ribs, all that macaroni, all of it. As soon as Levi was called, after he left, he said, let me, let me show you what I think about you. And he threw him a feast. He threw him a feast. Remember two weeks ago, Simon's mother-in-law, Jesus goes into her house, and she's sick, like really sick. And they're like, hey, can you, can you come see my mother-in-law? She's sick. And Jesus does. He, he touches her. She gets up. And remember what she does? The very first thing she does is she gets up and she starts serving. Even now, this guy who should not have known, who should not have been equipped, who should not have been called by our standards, the moment that he was called, he said, I've been called. Let me serve you. Man, I love the pendulum. But what I love more than the pendulum is that God doesn't call us from where we are to place us somewhere that's going to be still. He calls us from where we are so that we can actually begin to do. He calls us from a place of maybe being despised, maybe being just not noticed, but he calls us into a place to where now we are free to love, free to serve, free to give a feast, free to feed, free to just do it all, fill in the blank. So he invites him over to his house, and he, he feeds him. And so, man, remember all of these things that had occurred before this, like he had, uh, he had been affirmed, he had been confirmed as the Christ, he had taught with authority, he had healed very many, he had touched a leper, he had forgiven sins, he had demonstrated authority, but now in this process of being fed and being served, Jesus was also taking the pendulum to another place. Because up until now, like, Jesus had been interesting. Like, he had been incredibly interesting. He had been motivating. He had been interesting. He had been compelling. But he hadn't really ticked people off yet. You know, a couple weeks ago, like, he did. He talked about forgiving sins. Like, last week, remember when the the paralytic was lowered through the roof and the Pharisees and the scribes, they were standing around. They were stroking their voluptuous beards. It's in between the lines. If you don't believe me, don't read it. And so they were doing that, and they were like, who is this that's blaspheming? Who is this that can forgive sins? And he's like, well, let me show you. Let me show you. Get up and walk. But today he does something different. Today he actually shares a table with more people like Levi. And this is huge. Okay, we can't can't miss this. Jesus shares a table and shares a meal with the people that were hated. The people that were called tax collectors because they were. They were endorsed criminals. But then they were also called sinners. The other people that were there, that's who Jesus ate with. He wasn't in the temple breaking bread with the priest. He wasn't in the, in the courts breaking bread with the Pharisees and the scribes. No, he was sitting at a table in a tax collector's house eating with tax collectors and sinners. That's who Jesus sat with. And you got to understand what it did to the people with the big beards and the, and the, the cords and the robes. Like, man, they were just like, Ugh. And this would continue all the way to the cross. And they were just infuriated. They were like, who... Who is this? And as a matter of fact, they actually spoke it to the disciples. They said, hey, uh, let, me, let me ask you something. This rabbi of yours, this rabbi of yours who's done some weird things, who speaks a lot differently, this rabbi who we've watched heal people that he is compelling, he's entreating, he's all of these things, but now he's sitting with, he's sitting with those people. That's who Jesus was. And by the way, like, let me give away the ending. We are those people. We. Me. We are those people. 
because there's a, a painting, a masterpiece being performed by Jesus. Because he could have come for the best, right? He could have come for the ones that had it all together, had their list in order, had their inheritance in order, had all of those things, the ones that were completely well. But he came for the we, the us, the me. Because in relation to God, we have none of those things. We're not the best. We don't have all of our junk in order. As a matter of fact, we just have our junk. That's who Jesus came for. Like we can, we can do whatever we want with Jesus. We can put him in this box to say that he came to make religious people better or he came to give us a system that if we live by life we'll be happier. But no, 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 understand, it's not why Jesus came. It's not what he did. It's not what he said. So now he's eating with the tax collectors, the sinners, and the crowd begins to rumble. Again, not the, the typical rabbi behavior. Because they were used to seeing rabbis that would, that would bring along their 12, and they would begin to dress like their rabbi. They would begin to speak like their rabbi. They would begin to teach like their rabbi. And all of those things were perfectly acceptable in their culture. They were like, well, that's what a rabbi does, and that's what disciples do. This Jesus was very different. He was leading his disciples in a much different direction, a much different path, a path that looked very different. And people had a problem with it. What Jesus was beginning to do was Jesus was beginning to systematically confront this idea of who truth actually exists for and why do we need it. Now, Jesus didn't come to start a revolution. Like, we could do the Shea Rivera thing with Jesus and say that he was a revolutionary, but what Jesus really came to do was to dismantle the system of religion and acceptance and holiness based upon my performance and rebuild it into something else that looked like this. Your performance doesn't matter. My performance doesn't matter. The only performance that matters is Jesus's, and his is impeccable. And we can no longer depend on me. We can no longer depend on the beards and the cords because that's what all of those things represented. We can no longer depend on the lists that we hang our hat on. We can't depend on any of those things. As a matter of fact, the only thing that we can depend on is just Jesus. Like we've been talking about, like the Jesus that we need. Like, that's the Jesus we need. So he began to confront who truth was for, why we must hear it. And here's the question that arose. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners or others? I think there's, the other translations do say others, and I think that's probably a bit more telling even than sinners because others were saying people not like us. Because that's what they were asking. Why is he eating with people that are not like us? Now, we could take that a long way. We don't have time today. So when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Whew. he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now, Jesus was using a metaphor that would have been fairly common amongst rabbis. They would frequently align teachers with healers or teachers with physicians because obviously the truth was there to heal. And we've already talked about that. Jesus came to heal. He came to restore. He came to teach. They're interconnected. They're linked together. We can't have one without the other. And so he's extending upon that metaphor that rabbis would have been fairly familiar with. And so the Pharisees, the scribes of the Pharisees, they're like, why is he eating with people that are not like me? Why is he eating with those people, those scum people? Because <laughs> that was their tone. And he just said, 
Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus is letting them know, kind of a play on words. He's like, I came for the people that knew they needed help, not the people that claim they don't. I came for the people that knew they needed help, not for the people that claim they don't. Here's the thing about the Jesus that we need. The Jesus that we need is the one that we know we need. Hear me, the, the Jesus that we need is the one that we know that we need. Now, granted, uh, these that he's calling righteous right now, why well, a play on words? Because if we go to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3 verse 9 is saying, hey, it doesn't matter, Jew or Greek, there's none righteous, not a single one. And then skipping down a few more verses, it says we've all sinned, we've all missed the mark, fallen short of the glory of God. So he's not actually saying, I didn't come for the people uh, who are perfectly righteous. He's saying, I, I didn't come for the people who think they don't need me. The ones that think they have it all together, the ones that think they, they've got the list down and the do's and do nots down. I didn't come for those people. No, I came for the sinners and the tax collectors because they're well aware of their need. The Jesus that we need is the one that we know that we need. If we don't see a need for Jesus, he's no good to us. And that's not me putting a limitation on Jesus, but that's me just going ahead and saying, I, I don't need you. I don't need you. There's nothing you have that I can't do for myself. The problem is that's a lie. Tax collectors, I mean, you got to know, when they were putting that one extra denarii in their pocket, they knew that was wrong, but they did it anyway. Those that were considered other 